Shay Marshall. Uh, cheers. Thanks for being here. Cheers. Yeah, man. Good to see you. Hi, Brian. Hi, Shay. Hi, Shay. Oh, you should introduce me first. I did. I said Shay Marshall. Oh, you like it? <laughs> well, uh, I think you're going to kick off the second season of this podcast. Are we in the second season? We are already in the second season. Welcome to the second season, everybody. See? Yeah. How we do This it? is clearly now already the fall of 2021. <laughs> we are not recording this. <laughs> right. Uh, We're not recording this in April. In fact, I know about that weird thing that happened in July. I totally know about it. Yeah. So uh, yeah. let's address that. Okay. Or, you know what? It's better if we don't talk about it. Let's just talk about music. <laughs> Shay Marshall, uh, I I I have uh, I have a number of questions for you already prepared. They're stored in, in my brains. Perfect. Yeah. Um, one thing I as as a transplant myself to to Phoenix, uh, one thing I, I when did you move here? I moved to uh, October of two thousand and three. Okay. From, yeah. from Massachusetts, and I, I wanna, moved here in August of two thousand one. So about the same. I, from from Pittsburgh. From Pittsburgh. Yes. Yeah. And I think that you were one of the first people that I saw performing. You were with the really? Bob Powers trio. Oh, we were doing the energy trio thing. Yes. Yeah. Where was that? Is that over at Voce? Uh, whether it was Voce, or I feel like it was or downtown. No, if it was earlier. Was yeah. it Monroe's? Maybe it, was, it might have been Monroe's. I feel okay. like I saw yeah. you at Monroe's. Monroe's, which is now the Cornish Pasty. And I just remember thinking, you know, as a new kid, and as someone who who left you remember thinking like wow this guy should pl this guy can play i should definitely not hire him for 16 years and then meet him and start hanging out no i'm just playing bro <laughs> no i i remember you know a, a part of the reason why i moved to phoenix was to to get away from music i i was just at a dead end uh in massachusetts and, and feeling very frustrated that the, the the lack of work and, and my skill set and, and what I was doing, it just wasn't coming over. So part of the reason for me coming out to Phoenix was to get step away from it and get a normal job. Uh, for, for, for someone who has such a almost magical ability to connect with an audience and, you know, make, make them feel something when you're singing, it's amazing for me to hear that, that you were trying to get away because you felt as though it, it wasn't working for you. That's well. That that doesn't compute for me, man. I, I, but I mean, I'm sure your your feelings are valid at that time. I'm certain. But yeah. like from what I've seen of what you do, man, oh, it's, it's thanks, man. I I can't imagine that. Well, it was a real thing, and and it mm -hmm. and it took me a minute to get. You know, I moved here in October, and a couple months later, I I I, I whatever reconnected with 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 music. You know, but. Um, I think one of the first uh, bands, kind of local bands that, that I discovered, because I lived close to Monroe's. Okay, you were downtown from yeah. the beginning, but before downtown was cool. Was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it cool now? I don't know. I don't know, but uh, Monroe's was one of my favorite spots, uh, and there was really, there, were, there weren't a ton of options, mm -hmm. right? It was Seamus, Monroe's. Right. Across the street from each other. Yeah, and it was, so that was perfect. Yeah. Um, but I remember going into the basement there, and I remember hearing about you and 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 seeing this killing trio, and thinking, like that's what I want to do, you know, <laughs> like that's that's the shit that was inspiring to me at the time. And um, I mean, I don't know if I can give you full credit for me wanting to do music again, but I definitely felt like 
there's great musicians in town. There are cool clubs. Like if this is my local club, this is my local bar and they have this great music, like I'm going to be cool. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, thanks to you. Uh, thanks to you. Oh, I'm well, not, thanks, Brian. I'm that not, means a lot, man. I'm not a musician. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, 2001, you moved from Pittsburgh. Yeah, I moved here uh, on Sunday, August 19th, 2001. Whoa. Uh, and I've, I was going to Arizona State. I started ASU in 2001. And um, let's see. Yeah, I moved here. It was it's Sunday, definitely Sunday, definitely Sunday. Uh, August, yeah, August 19th. And yeah. I rolled to town, and like I used to do, uh, back home when I was a kid, I po- picked up like the city paper or whatever the, the local rag yeah. was and looked yeah. for a jam session. And I, I had grown up, you know, playing in jams back home in Pittsburgh. I mean, I was a teenager or whatever, but I was, you know, playing pocket stuff and funky stuff, whatever. I was, I was mostly a saxophone player at that time. Played a little bit of keys. And I rolled out here and I was like, Arizona, oh, nobody's going to be playing anything that like feels good out here. I don't know, you know, stupid 16 year old me. Yeah. So I checked the rag. And on Sunday, August 19th, 2001, there was a session happening at a club that you probably remember in Tempe called Belo's, mm-hmm. which heard. was a floor below, below the street. I never actually went there, but I've oh, heard sure. there's yeah, so well, was, much lore Yeah, to yeah, was, Well, there's a lot of them, but yeah, Mill Avenue yeah. in Tempe. So I rolled into Belo's. I got off the plane at like 9 or 10 a.m. that day, moved into my dorm room and looked in the paper for where there was a session where I could roll out and play some poop yeah. am i allowed to curse yes shit ass i could roll fuck. out and play some some shit ass peck fuckers yeah i could roll out and play some some music you know yeah. some good music why would i call it something some why would i you know asperse the music I, right. i'm gonna play some beautiful music that also grooves but uh, i looked at the, i looked at the rag and on that sunday there was a jam session there was a session happening over at Belos on mill avenue so i rolled in and the band that was playing there was Raul Yanez running the session, playing keys. Okay. Mario Mandeville playing bass. I've heard of him. Todd Shuba playing drums. Sounds familiar. And Ted Belladin hanging out playing saxophone. Mm. And I walked in and I was like, oh, I'm home. These guys get it. <laughs> right? All right. I and now 20 years later, I'm still playing with those dudes. I know. I love it. <laughs> but love but now it. I'm almost a grown man. <laughs> so... um, I, I have a couple questions. Uh, first one, um, now you say you were playing sax in, in Pittsburgh yeah. in high school, what, in, in, the, in the jazz band or in the concert well, I, band? I, or, oh, well, when I was in high school, I was in every performing ensemble in the high school. And was it like a performing arts high school or was no, it, not at all. Was it, it was public just, whatever? No, it was just the, the, the school and they had a pretty strong music program and I played uh, concert master clarinet in the wind ensemble. I played lead alto in the jazz band. I played first chair concert master violin in the string orchestra, and I was the pian- the accompanist on piano for all the choirs. So, so not I much- was a member of every ensemble. So not much music then. Ha! Something like that. Oh Jesus! Man. I don't know. I de- I I never. Uh, for some reason, they never asked me to audition for the football team. <laughs> Oh, tryout. They call it tryout, but well, audition. They hold auditions for the team, for the team. every year. And That's I never, right. But I was two years younger than all the other kids. Okay, so yeah, uh, I, st- I started a year early and then I skipped a grade. Okay, which right. I don't recommend because, um, I don't know. Not to not to sound strange about it, and I don't think skipping grades is still a thing. But uh, in the nineties. If a kid was really good at taking tests yeah. and advanced, they would push him forward a grade. Right. The, the problem is not that 
you know, he was like it, someone who is a year older than himself. Like it's, this is a six year old who learns like an eight year old. Right. It's no, this is a six year old who learns, you know, whatever percent faster than the other six year olds. So the result of skipping a grade is that, you know, you, you skip forward a year. Mine was second grade to third grade. You move forward a year, and actually, bassist Chris Finney has the same story. We've confided in each other about this. Is that this. right? Yeah, I talked to Chris about it. But um, yeah, you move forward a year, and then for the next three months, you're learning a year and three months worth of stuff, and it's awesome because it's at your pace. And then after mm. that, everything is still being taught at the same slow pace, but right. now you're the weird kid. I see. So, <laughs> so socially, it, it was yeah. a challenge. Because kind of, yeah. well, you know, like you're, 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 you're one yeah, year mean, younger well, well, than normal kids. So socially, kind of physically, emotionally, right. and, whatever. And as, a, as adults, we don't think about that. Because right. Brian, you and I are like three, four years apart, but we don't see that as any difference, <laughs> really. You know, but, That's you know, cute. as a kid, like anybody who has kids or anyone who teaches knows that like the difference between a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old yeah. is huge. Okay. They're like worlds apart. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. So, so you obviously, so I don't recommend it. So you, okay. I'll, I'll remind myself not to do that. Yeah. Um, so you obviously had a proclivity for music very early on. Did it just take or like, or were your parents like, you know, you have to learn this thing or did it, did it find you or did you find it? Like how did I that found work it, out? Neither of my parents play music at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grand, and, I'm sorry, an only child. Uh, I have an older sister. She's okay. five years older. Okay. Um, she, I think she, she probably played like flute or clarinet or something, but never well, um, you know, never like seriously right. excited, right? She probably play, played in the school band, but, um, let's see, as a, as a kid, I, at, at first it came up with proclivity with, with anything else, uh-huh. you know, according to my parents and I was there at the time, but I don't remember anything. But according to my parents, at 18 months, I knew all my letters and numbers and everything. And, and by the time I was two years old, I spoke in complete sentences and I knew how to read. Hmm. And, hmm. you know, it wasn't until I was much, much older and was actually, because I didn't know anyone younger than me, until I was around friends who had like kids who were two. And I was like, whoa, wait a second. But my mother will tell stories about her going to the grocery store when I was like two and a half years old, like a little toddler in the front of the, the buggy. As we call it, the, the, yeah, card, the buggy. Yeah. And I would be like, you know, reading all the signs and keeping track of everything that she bought. And then she'd go up to the front to the cashier and I'd tell them the total before they started <laughs> just like to get a laugh out of it. They'd be like, oh my God, he's right. He knows how to read. Like, well, of course, it's just symbols. Right. But, right. So I, you know. So when did you, I'm sorry. So when did you come, like, first instrument, what, 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 what age? Okay, and it, and again, I I was there, but I don't remember any of this. Okay. So I'm I will relate to you the story that my parents tell. Okay, and I'm pretty sure it's accurate. Um, when they were doing a lot of acid at the time, though. Uh, never. Oh. Oh, never. No, no. My my. I've checked. <laughs> I've checked the documentation. <laughs> yeah. I've I've tried. I've tried to get it out of them and everything else, but you know, no. My my folks are like straight and narrow. No, like, no booze even. Um, An occasional they, drink. Okay, so when when I was growing up, my folks had a big grandfather clock, and in the bottom of it was a uh, a liquor cabinet. Oh, cool! And I used to occasionally pull something out of it, but my parents literally had a drink once a year on New Year's. Okay, okay, and that was it. Right, like the liquor cabinet 
did not change from the time I was 11 to the time I was 16. Right. Except for me stealing. Right. Like shots of triple sec. And, right. And whatever they had yes. left over. Yes. <laughs> to Kuiper's peach schnapps yeah, whatever. or whatever. Uh, Harvey's Bristol cream. Yes. Ugh. Oh my God. I but used it, to do the same shit. Yeah. It's, and I don't understand because my folks like partied all through the seventies. Like my pop was selling corporate aircraft. Yeah. And you know, they were, go- they were, you know, they would, he would sell a plane and they'd say, all right, let's take a week off. They go down to Grand Cayman. They yeah. take one of the planes, like go scuba diving for oh, a week. They just on. like live in the dream. Yeah. They were just like not into any of the, yeah, they, they managed to avoid all of the pitfalls of the seventies and the eighties, which, which is, I really admire. I, that's, I can't imagine that was easy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But as a, as a kid, um, you know, at some point, uh, my, in, at some point in the seventies before I was born, my father heard that my mother took piano lessons as a kid and she never pursued it. She never did anything. And you know, my pop is gregarious, whatever he, he bought a home organ cool. for the house. Cool. Thinking like she would play it. Yeah. And she said, well, what did you buy this for? I'm not going to use it. He said, well, try it. She tried it. She never played it. He tried to play it. He never played it. It sat in the corner with half a dozen other things that they bought over the years. Like, Hey, yeah. let's try this. You never do. It. I mean, we yeah. all have stuff in our house. That right. We think we're going to use. We're not going to use. Right. Peloton. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> just kidding. I'm, I'm looking know. in your kitchen right now to see what you have sitting in the corner, an appliance that you don't use, but not bad. Yeah, you're pretty good. I, 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 but so the, so yeah. the story goes, so the story goes, so the story goes, according to my folks, it all comes back that when I was five years old, one day, you know, and I was, my pop already, he taught me that, you know, as much mathematics as he understood, uh, he taught, and that's, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to cast aspersions on my, on my pop. I've, I, I love my dad. He's made me the man that I am. I admire him to the end of the earth. But, you know, by, by the time I was that age, you know, his, his math understanding was, you know, trig and algebra right. and that's, that's about it. And I didn't get exposed to calculus for another like six years. But, uh, when I was six, um, apparently five or six, apparently one day I walked up to the home organ sitting in the house and turned it on and started playing around with it. And my folks said like after five, 10 minutes, they started hearing re- recognizable melodies. Like I was figuring it out. Wow. So they said, let's get this kid some lessons. So they took me to the local like organ store <laughs> and got me lessons, you know, did, did whatever they could to try to right. get me exposed. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, my folks were infinitely supportive in terms of giving me instruments and trying to get me lessons and everything else. That's Unfortunately, awesome. some of the teachers I had as a kid were better than others because, you know, they didn't know how to discern whether someone was just, you know, classified ads. Hey, I'm a such and such teacher and someone who's actually like understands how it works. Right. You know, like how many people do you know who teach, who, if you handed them a kid who had the potential to become a right. great musician, they would actually be doing him a disservice. Right. 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 You know? So very early on, you, you got attached to music. It came very naturally. Yeah. And then, so started with the, with the organ in your, in your, in your childhood home mm-hmm. and it evolves kind of through high school and, and, and now you're playing a reed instrument. Oh, um, you're playing a, a violin. You're, you're expanding, consuming, yeah, my, my grandmother, uh, Dominica Lasanti, who her name should still be spoken. My grandmother, yeah. um, she played the accordion and the piano, and she came from a, a somewhat musical This family. is, I'm sorry, mother or father's side? M- mother's side. Okay. Yeah, my grandmother, my maternal grandfa- grandmother, sorry, 
Uh, I am a third cousin once removed of Broadway actress Patti Lapone. Hmm. And I am third cousin twice or three times removed from, oh, I can't remember her name. Late 1800s. She was an operatic. The Phantom of the Opera. No, 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 no. <laughs> no yeah, right. No, an operatic soprano whose name I don't remember, but she oh. sang and she did a lot of Tchaikovsky's work and she traveled the States and was the highest paid opera singer in the 1870s or 1880s. Damn. Yeah. So I'm, I'm connected to that it's lineage in, at some point it's in your it's in your blood that's what everybody says come on baby no, no. come on now let's um but um let's take a short break because we're gonna go from growing up in pittsburgh to early phoenix memories in 2001 totally okay so the story goes is sponsored by santan brewing company let's talk about juicy jack and no, that wasn't my nickname in college. Juicy Jack. It's a delicious beer that Santan makes. It's a it's a juicy, hazy IPA. I'm a big fan of India Pale Ales. And this one is great. Uh, it's one of my favorites that they do. It has mosaic cashmere hops. They ha- It has uh, peach, guava, and tangerine aromas. It's fruity and juicy. It's just, it's a it's a great session beer. Crack one of these by the pool, and everything's going to be fine. Check them out online, santanbrewing.com. They got all sorts of delicious beers and spirits. What? Cocktails in a can? What? Check them out. Let's get back to the podcast. Um, Let's go back to... Uh, 2001. Now you're mm-hmm. in Phoenix and enrolled at ASU. Correct. For music? I tried. Yeah. I tried to be a music student. Um, I auditioned three times for the Arizona State University School of Music. I was never admitted as a music student. So I ended up studying electrical engineering instead. Oh, uh, pause. Uh, I don't understand. Where was the disconnect there? Um, I'm not really sure. But, uh, yeah, I I spent a year and a half matriculating at Arizona State. After I had been accepted at, like, University of North Texas and other, like, jazz schools and stuff. In Denton? That one? Yeah, UNT. Fucking Don Henley went to... And everybody, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's like, the big band school. Yeah. Yeah, well, okay, I'm really good at taking tests. So... As a high school, like sophomore or junior, uh, I took the PSAT, which is also the National Merit Scholarship Qualifying Test. And I'm good at taking tests. So after I took that exam, uh, a number of universities, including Arizona State, offered me full-ride academic scholarships because I had high test scores. Like I got a free ride to ASU with a high school GPA of 2.6. Without anything having to do with music, just because I'm good at taking tests. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was already enrolled. I passed the audition. I was ready to go to UNT and stay with Jim Riggs, and I was going to be a part of the crew and everything. I had a room in Bruce Hall, you know, like the, the oh UNT God. thing, like yeah. being the big band kid, right. sax player. Yeah. And uh, a bunch of universities would send letters to, and, and army recruiters. Because I aced the ass fab too. Okay, but everybody sent letters to this your to the a- house. Your ass is fab, by the way. 
Thank you very much. No worries. Yeah, just... my, my ASVAB was 99 straight across, but whatever. That doesn't mean anything. It just means you're good at taking a test. But, um, yeah, so I used to come home, and I would get the mail, and I would just throw away all of this stuff coming from schools that it like Oklahoma state, yeah. you know, whatever the, whatever school was saying like, Hey, come here for free. I'm like, well, what am I going to do there? You know, I just throw it away. No shit. One day I stayed late after school. I got involved with like a soccer game or whatever. And I was hanging out with my buddies and I got kicked in the face, or whatever. And I came home late and the third letter that Arizona state had mailed to my house oh my got through to my folks. So my folks were like, Oh my God, you can get a full ride academic scholarship. It's like, <laughs> Yeah, but I don't really want to do that. They're like, no, no, you're going to Arizona State now. It's <laughs> like, awesome. okay. That's so awesome. I auditioned for the music program, and I was not accepted as a music student. And after, th- and after, and it's as classical saxophone. The guy who ran the studio was a heavy classical saxophone guy, and I'm pretty strong on saxophone technique. Strong yeah. enough. You know, I did group lessons with some of his students who had been accepted to the program and I could play circles around them, but that's not my place to judge. Whatever. Right. I wasn't a strong enough classical saxophone player. Can I just pause you for a moment? Because well, I was talking to your colleague, our mutual friend, Steve Himmelstein, mm-hmm. and he said that the jazz program required a classical uh, component. Well, yeah, to, to be a music student, yes. you had to pass an audition for the studio on your instrument. And and even if you were focusing on jazz, you had to... You still had to be competent on your instrument, correct? It, well, for, for classical. Yeah. But yes. These, this is like night and day, right? Well, not or necessarily. No? You know, I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I still got to take... I still got to study with uh, with Chuck Moronic, who taught me a ton about harmony. He was the, the piano professor yeah. at, the, at the time, and I took his studio. I still got to study with a number of folks at the school. I still got to play in ensembles. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a heavy classical saxophone player. Right. So if you're going to hire someone to play the theme from Catch Me If You Can, fine, I'm not the right saxophone player for that. Mm-hmm. But I've got four-way independence on the on the pipe organ and can play, you know, Bach fugues and inventions and I can read fly shit. So if you need me to do something, call me and I'll do it. Right. That having been said, uh, you know, I was a 16, 17 year old kid, whatever. After the third time I failed an audition, which was after a year and a half of taking classes at college, just trying to be a music student and having my audition rejected, from someone saying like, well, I just don't really like your French concept of vibrato. I said, all right, fuck this. If I'm going to be in college, because I've got a full ride academic scholarship, right. I might as well it. be here anyway. Let's do whatever. I'm going to study the thing that is the least subjectively graded possible. So I switched to studying electrical engineering, where at no matter what school you go to, at least for undergrad, whatever school you go to in the in the States, the curriculum is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. You take the same classes, you learn exactly the same thing, all of the grading is perfectly objective. Mm-hmm. There were no opinions involved in grading. Right. You know, you give me an assignment, I demonstrate I have built this device, this is how it works, these are my calculations supporting what I have done, yeah. I know the grade that I receive before you even give me a grade. Right. So that's right. that's where I was, so that's the reaction that I was in. Yeah. After, you know, like two years of trying to be a music student and them saying, "Eh." so 
yeah, so I went to school for engineering and it was, it was cool. Actually, I learned a lot of great shit that I still use in my life. It changed my whole worldview. I love it. Yeah. And yeah. so you're a gigging musician at ASU. Yeah. So somebody needed a horn player. And then true. Like it, there was one year where like, I think three or four different keyboard players all either left town or quit at the same time. And I don't want to misspeak, so I'm sorry to any of y'all whose names I call out. But it was like within a year and a half, within a year and a half, uh, Anna Matola moved to D.C., uh, Yanni Gudelis moved to L.A., Annie Margolis moved to L.A., Brock Walters stopped playing, Jake Kohler moved to uh, Japan, or he moved to Vegas first, then to Japan, I think. I don't know. Or no, Andy moved to Vegas, whoever. Right. But they were like... All no. the key, all the keyboard players left at the same time, right. and I was like, "Oh, well, I grew up playing keys. I'll just be a keyboard player then. Fine." And a bunch of folks accidentally called me because they already knew me as a sax player. And we're like, "All right, fine, cool," and Jesus. you know, whatever. All right, so so now you're gigging early two thousands, gigging in town. Um, you, I, I'm assuming you got your degree. I, I did not. I never finished. You bounced. I uh, I was working uh, five or six nights a week at a burlesque club as the saxophone player uh, in Scottsdale uh, in, I think it was 2006. Well, at first I got kicked out of ASU for starting a fire, but that's a whole other story. Okay, you're a fire and then, starter. Well, no. Okay. It was another guy. Drew, oh, I'm not going to say his name, <laughs> but whatever. No, this dude, it's, we were in the dorms, oh, okay. and this, so this kid from Iowa, <laughs> this silly kid from Iowa, who I lost track of, I wish I could get in touch with him, I'd buy him a beer, but this silly kid from Iowa decided to like try to light a bush on fire, and I saw him, always, I was like... Always a good idea, by the way. Right, and I saw him, and I was like, hey man, let me help you out with that, you're, you're, you're not, not going to light up. You're not lighting the bush on fire Right, correctly. well, whatever, you're not doing it right, it was like a happening, you know, it was like a prank, whatever, it was like a thing. So uh, I grabbed some alcohol, <laughs> rubbing alcohol, whatever, and, uh, you know, helped him out. We torched it. And a couple of folks, it was in the courtyard of a dormitory, and nobody knew who this kid was. And he was about to do a summer study abroad, but everybody knew me as, like, the weird kid. So, like, some folks saw me oh and said, said some stuff, and I got called into, like, whatever. This is dormitory, like, teenager stuff, you know. Love it. Like kangaroo court teenager stuff. <laughs> so they call me in. They're like, hey, did you light that bush on fire? I'm like, nope. Like, were you there? People saw you there. I'm like, yeah, I was there. I didn't light it. Like, well, who did it? I said, I can't tell you his name. I don't know his name. Because this kid was about to do like a summer study abroad. They right. obviously didn't know who he was. So right. what am I going to do? Roll over on this guy? Forget right. it. Right. And so apparently it was during like finals week. So it got kicked upstairs to, again, Arizona State University Student Judicial Services. Oh my God! Sounds right, so formal. Yeah, it's, it's who who cares? Yeah, whatever. They hit me up. They're like, "Hey, do you like this stuff on fire?" I'm like, "Yeah." I was just playing around. Like, okay, well, we have a record of you. Let's see, throwing shopping carts carts off the roof of your dormitory. Yeah, uh, check. Blowing up two liter bottles with butane. Uh, you got busted one time. Uh, on a Monday afternoon with a quarter pound of weed in your room, smoking at two in the afternoon with the door open. Check. 
uh, <laughs> you know, innumerable noise violations, alcohol violations, everything else. Yeah. You know, I was selling substances, everything else. I'm a nice guy. I don't do anything crazy. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. I probably, they say, all right, you're suspended from the university. I go, okay, I got gigs. Forget it. No kidding. <laughs> so then that, that then you basically became a full-time musician. Well, that, that I, went to, I went to Mesa College After for that. a year. And I took like statics and dynamics and calc three and all the differential equations and all the other engineering core. Then I went back to ASU for a year. They let you back in. Yeah. Yeah. It was a year. Whatever. Nobody cares. Okay. Nobody really keeps track. Right. They got like 50,000 students. Nobody yeah. cares. Yeah. Went back for a year, took a bunch of classes. Uh, I quit. I quit going to my undergrad with uh, 15 credits remaining. On an undergrad degree in electrical engineering. That's, I've what, al- that's what, five classes maybe? Like no, no, three, no, no, three, not three even. Credits. Not even. It was like a senior design project and two tech electives. And I had already completed a mathematics minor, which electrical engineering contains. Right. And a, a music minor. But at that point, I was already working as a musician. Right. And honestly, in the 15 years since, the only thing in my life that not having a bachelor's degree has prevented me from doing is being a sperm donor. Let's just let that sink in for a minute. Yeah, I tried to to be a donor with Mayo Clinic, and they're like, you don't have an undergrad. And now I'm in my 30s, and I'm bald, and I'm under six foot, so nobody wants you know, my <laughs> genetics, which is fine. I don't need to contribute them. It's okay. <laughs> but yeah, that's the only thing. Well, but but Brian, man, I, Maybe. you know me, man. I'm yeah. silly. If you really want it You can have it if you really want it Bro, you, you remember really the Styrofoam it? Big Mac cartons? Yes, yeah, when we were kids And that, like the Yeah Dude, I still eat a Big Mac Like once or twice a year I, well, I, I would, I would so say I grew up with it So I would say I would cr- I'll, I'll crush down a Big Mac Probably once every two months Yeah, I, I put I get a a Big Mac and an order of fries. And I put the fries on the Big Mac oh. and then I get a six piece McNugget with the sweet and sour just because it's what I ate as a kid. Yes. And it's like it's Long John Silver's too. Yeah. I used to go to Long John Silver's with my grandmother. That's big on the East Coast though. Well, I guess. I don't, Not I didn't, so much out here, I would say. I didn't know what fish and chips was supposed to taste like until I was a grown man. Right. I have something in my in my show and tell box. Oh, okay. I'd like to show let's you. Let's do that. Let's do okay. that. So. Shay rolls up to this podcast and he has a he has a box of shit that he wants to present to me, show me, or well, I have a gift for you. Oh, but this isn't it. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> so when when I was uh, thirteen, fourteen, I first started playing music. I would sit in at a club called the Linden Grove, which is southwest of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It was in Castle Shannon. It was built in the early 1870s. Like my great grandmother used to go there, and she was born in the 1890s. Damn. But I, when I was in my teens, I would go down to the Linden Grove, and they had a night. I think it was Wednesday or Thursday. Where they had a band playing early swing music in Dixieland music. Cool. And there was a bassist, upright bassist, who I got to know, who lived one street down from the house I grew up in. This guy's name was Emil Brankus. Wow. Say his name. E-M-I-L, Emil Brankus. Emil? Emil? Yeah, Emil. Emil. E-M-I-L, Emil Brankus. He was quite old by the time I met him, even. But uh, he gave me a book of music 
when I was 12 or 13 years old that I studied that was all the popular music from the time. And I wanted to show this to you. Oh, because cool. I am such I don't I am so enamored with like the blue collar music. Yeah. I'm enamored with the history of musicians who yeah. weren't trying to be artists, but musicians who were just doing the job in the same way that a master craftsman was doing his job. You know, at Ben Franklin's inauguration, we were yeah. talking about that yeah, on the yeah, break. Yeah. yeah, I love this. Yeah, at Ben Franklin's inauguration in Philadelphia, uh, you can find on the internet a published version of the receipt right. from that night, from right. Ben Franklin's inauguration party as governor of Pennsylvania. Wow. Late 1700s. And if you do the calculation on inflation, on, on inflation, right, in twenty twenty dollars, he had a seven piece band. The leader made eight hundred bucks. The sideman made three hundred bucks. Who knows what they were playing? I wish I knew what they were playing because right. they just showed up for another gig and they already knew all the tunes. <laughs> they didn't bring sheet music. And yeah. I wish it was before the advent of recorded music, and I wish I could have been there with yeah. the improvisers in the seventeen hundreds and eighteen hundreds. Well, and and as we. <laughs> As we as we realized at the break, that's about the same bread. Three hundred years later, yeah, it's the same, same bread. thing. Yeah, everyone's but, getting the same bread. But at that time, there was no recorded music, so right. anytime you had music, you had live musicians playing it. Right. Everybody had a gig every night. Right, right. And they it were is all incredible. playing music they all knew. Yeah, right. For most of human history, as long as we've had cities, I mean, can you imagine in Rome in fifty A.D. Like I've, I've been to, um, I've been to a club, uh, in Orange in the South of France yeah. that I randomly happened upon. It was under a Coliseum style amphitheater. Stand by. Um, Orange is French for orange. Clearly. Okay. Sorry. I just wanted to. Putain, vieux. Putain, putain. <laughs> je, je vais te prendre parler français avec un putain beat, ouais. I don't speak French, okay. but, uh, so we stopped in that city. And underneath the theater was a, a restaurant nightclub. And I'm sure that after the, after the performance had right, happened, right. they had local musicians performing do you think, that evening. Do you think it was for the performance, like the green room kind of situation? Or do you think it was just like open to the public? It's, let's, I, let's fuck off. I feel like... V- performers vips yes. i think that's that sort of thing yeah. after party type yeah. of thing after but, party but we're talking the place was built in 50 a.d so mm. by the time we got to 150 200 a.d it was an established theater mm-hmm. in the roman empire mm-hmm. and people went there people who lived nearby would go there on a friday night mm. to see the show yeah. And they go hang out and ha- drink mead or whatever they drank. Who knows what they drank? But they would Wine, be entertained. They sure. would be entertained by something. Right. They'd right. be in there a was room. En- there was entertainment. And someone yeah. was entertaining music, them. music, for sure. And most of that music has been lost. Yeah. Because recording did not exist yet. And the only music that we have remaining is from the great composers who wrote down what they had improvised before. Right, right. But if you even look at Mozart in Vienna, he was surrounded by musicians playing at salons right. and playing in ensembles and playing solo at every party and every place around him. 
And he was exposed to them, and they were exposed to him, and they traded ideas the same way I do with the musicians I'm around, and say like, "Hey, check out this voicing for minor eleven. Oh, cool, you know, that sort of thing." But if the technology for recording had existed 300 years before, the evolution of improvised music would have also begun Mm -hmm. 300 years before. Right. 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 Which yeah. is sad and to I, think and about. I, I'm, I'm sad to th- I mean, it's like the burning of Alexandria, man. The burning of the Library of Alexandria. Thinking mm-hmm. about like, yeah, everybody wanted to move to Leipzig in 18, or not Leipzig, Vienna in 1800. Why? I would that's, where all the play, that's where all the players were. Right. That's where they were doing the gigs and playing right. the real shit. Like, yeah, if you're a composer, sure. Then, you know, who knows? 300 years later, you know, we only have the music of the guys that bothered to write it down. Right. There's probably a ton of cats who just like did their gig and rolled out and shredded right. and played every right. night and everybody loved them and they right. hung out and they never wrote anything down because why bother? They only right. make money off publishing. They're doing right. their gigs every night. And I should have been one of those guys. I feel like you would have destroyed 50 AD. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Playing instruments that yeah. hadn't been invented. Sure, if they hadn't been invented, I'd be inventing instruments. Who cares? Whatever. That's, bro, I'm just I'm destroying 2020. Are you kidding me? You're you're like, you've made 2020 your bitch for sure. I'm destroying every year. Can like, you just show me what it is that you're holding in your hand? Because now I'm I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Okay, I'm, what I'm holding in my hand is a book that was given to me by a man named Emil Brankus, oh. who played at that session. Yes. And he gave this to me saying like, hey, check out this book so you can learn to be a professional musician. Not realizing that no shit. what he was trying to teach me to do was to become a successful professional musician in the year 1965. Right. And he was way out of date. But check it out. This is called <laughs> the Musician's Master Club Date Book. Oh, my God. So this and is the book that you just had to have. Well, no, be- I had tons of fake books. But check this out. In the back of the book... It has a whole section on how to do club dates. And I want you to look at this how with me. How to do club dates? Yeah. How to do like weddings and here, the club date handbook. I love it. Take a look. Okay. This is like here. Mm-hmm. This is the wedding march. And then here comes the bride. Okay. Here's all the things. you. It says Jewish wedding ceremony. Yeah. There's cup of wine, wing ceremony. <laughs> Next, bridal party entrance, and it has like, yeah, the smorgasbord for the cocktail hour. That's where everybody goes out and has the the music. Yeah. And then the entrance of the bridal party. This is like the handbook for how to do a gig in the 60s. Wow. Yeah, so it has Simantovan Mazel Tov for a Jewish wedding. Here's the wedding dinner, dance music. Make sure you know at least one of each dance. You need to know a samba, a mambo, a bossa nova, a tango, a pachanga, and a paso doble. I feel like all the folk dances old time for foxtrots and has songs requested like honey in F give me a little kiss in C April showers in G as the Charleston with a chart in B flat. Oh, the Sheikah bear of B in B flat Uh, Peabody. Peabody and two Sheikah Verabi on the shake, the Sheikah Verabi. You don't know that song. I don't. I don't. Of course not. No, no. Dig this. So read this. Okay. Can I just read add, that? No, just read this on the I, mic. I don't have the I read. Have follow mic. me. I don't have read, my right uh, there. glasses on. I need yeah. to be closer to me. So this is how to do a gig in the 60s. 
optional routines during wedding dinner. Music for entrance. <laughs> right. Hold on. Music for entrance of roast beef. Right. Music for the entrance of the roast beef. Yeah, because that's, after the smorgasbord. Because that's what you eat, right? Right. They have the roast beef comes out, and th- they have charts here. I'm an old cow hand in F, deep in the heart of Texas in G, and it says the Mater D will let you know. And then here's music for the cutting of the wedding case cake. Yep. If I knew you were coming, I'd have baked a cake in F. All that. They See, got I, the would do, I would do. Farmer in the Dell, the farmer in the Dell. I would only do it in G. Ah, but I, I love that. This is what yes. people did. That was the Bible. This right? is what people did for a living. Three right. nights a week. And right. all of those guys that did it were artists in their own right. Of course. They just, they were doing the job. You know, they I got music that. for the Flaming Jubilee and music for the VNS table and all of this stuff. What this says to me is this. There is such a long history of what we do. That, that for sure. But I love the, I mean, and you play a, a gajillion times nine more weddings than I will ever do in my lifetime. What that says to me is that the wedding was a, was a process, right? It, it had, sure. it had things that you had to do. Of course. And tell me that now in the last, you know, whatever, 20 years that you've been playing weddings, has any wedding been the same? They're all pretty much the same. Yeah, but, but not, not you know. Not oh, not like that. No, no. Beef well, or whatever. Well, there's so I call it an East Coast style reception, uh-huh. which almost nobody does anymore out here. Which is where you have everybody walk into the ballroom, they dance, right, then they right. sit down for salads, right. then they get up and have a dance set, then they right. sit down for that's the entree. East, that's an East then Coast. Then they get thing. back up, then they sit down for coffee and petit four, yeah. then they get back up, and it's in between. Now it's Nobody cares. Nobody anymore. cares. There are no rules anymore. Well, I mean, you know, there's ways to do it well, but yeah, you just roll in and have a party now. Right. Yeah, right. the traditions have largely disappeared. And there are yeah. some new traditions appearing, but like even the tradition of marriage is disappearing. Right. So like right. who cares? There's right. still like functional music though, and there always will be. Right. And Well, music I I is love always the- going to be a part of that event. Well, I, I love the idea that music is a part of everybody's life. Right. Music is a part, even somebody who doesn't even bother listening to music, for them, it's still a part of their life. Right. It's a part of the ceremonies, the important parts of their life. It's a part of their, you know, their baptism, their first communion, their this, their that, their funerals, yeah. their weddings, their right. everything. Right. Right. It's a part of it. Right. And, and that's what we do, man. All right, so what else do you got in this fucking box, man? Oh, you want something else in the box? All right. This is for you. I'm handing Brian Chartrand a <laughs> cylinder, and I'm going to ask him to try to figure out what it is. Go ahead and read me the text on that cylinder. <clears throat> Edison Blue Amberall Record. Okay, can I read the back? I don't have Go my right glasses ahead. on. Uh, I have to put it in just the right place. Uh, patented in the U.S., I'm assuming that means United States. July 12th, 20, uh, nope, 1910. Mm-hmm. Wait, what? September 29th, 1914. December 4th, 1917. Yeah. 
Okay, just I guess that's an average. Brian, what you are holding yes. is the beginning of the recording industry. This is a blue Amberall record in a cylindrical format that was sent out to be played on Victrola. Yeah. You know, with the, the mechanical yeah. big flower looking yeah. uh, bell yeah. on the side of it. Yeah. Before they had flat records. This is the beginning of the recording industry. Like, it's like a cone or a It's a cylinder. Open it up. Open no, no, it up. No, no, no. I'm not going to fuck with it. No, this is an Ambisol cylinder. Go right ahead. No, 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 I have no. dozens of them. This is a gift. But this is the beginning of the recording industry in the United States. Is it This wax? is a blue Ambisol record. It's actually, I believe it's vinyl, but it's a cylinder. It was originally cut into wax and then transferred. But you can even see, you can look up. This recording, this was to be played on a Victrola mm. in the nineteen in the teens, wow. and uh, in the very beginning of the recording industry, you know they had the Edison uh, Victrolas yeah. that they would put out, and they would, then they would send out wax cylinders yeah. so you could hear something. Some of them were yeah. speeches, some of them right. were bands, right. some of them were singers, so you could have something to listen to. And this cylinder contains three minutes of music. That was recorded more than a hundred years ago. Really? And is an artifact from the very beginning of the recording industry. And because you're an artist oh. who's participating in the recording industry, I felt as though this would be important important to show to you. <laughs> I love it. So this is an How Edison cool. Edison Blue Ambisol record. It's called I'm Sorry I Made You Cry. <laughs> And it is see uh, we're still Edison thirty five oh two. We are still so talk about it. We are st- we are still apologizing for making ladies cry. Uh, right. th- a thousand years. Ha! This is really an interesting bit, man. Uh, what do you suppose the interior is? It almost feels like ceramic. You know, it doesn't. It's well, the, the center hub is ceramic. The outside is. is vinyl, and yeah. it was cut from a wax cylinder that was recorded manually, not electronically, but recorded acoustically with a big cone with yeah. everybody singing yeah. and the needle cutting into the wax. I'm sorry I made you cry. Uh, oddly enough, is the name of my memoir. Um, <laughs> so this is this is for so me. Yeah, if you want it, do you want it? I would love it. I love okay, it. well, that's an artifact from the recording industry that is an Edison Blue Amberall cylinder. I got it in an eBay auction. They gave me 48 of them, <laughs> and I only want two, so I've been giving them away to all my friends. <laughs> I'm honored. Yeah, oh. so enjoy that. That's a part of the recording industry it is. from 110 years ago. I heard he made it up, so stony gold. Like we're entertainers. I mean, we're trying to be artists. I don't know. I don't feel as though I'm an artist. I'm, you, I'm like, you are I'm though. Uh, th- 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 well, I'm not trying to, to like disparage what no, no, I do. I, I put a lot of artistry into what I do. Yes. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm. I'm is it because if it, is it because you don't feel like you write your own shit that you don't feel like you're an artist? Well, I mean, I I write music, but it's only really interesting to other musicians. So, but it's like, but 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 that's that's art. I mean, art, art. Yes, you know, I mean, art for art's sake. Even even yeah. if, if if that's if that's how we define it, uh, and that's great. 
art for art's sake is still super important. Yeah. I don't th- I don't think of myself uh, as an artist. I just create shit as you do, right? So that's the, the, the you know you know you're an incredible musician, uh, very talented, way more advanced than I am. I I I do what I do. You would do what you do. It's still both art. It's still very creative, and like let's rejoice in that. You yeah. know, uh, I I rejoice in that without without needing to call it art i do what i do and i love what i do i wake up in the morning i love what i do yeah and i i have found that the band leaders and singers and songwriters who i gravitate gravitate towards the most yourself included oh thanks man are musicians who develop the strongest connection with their audience Mm. because the the thing that i enjoy the most about music is connection with other musicians and enjoying the craft of music mm. and supporting mm-hmm. the right. person who is telling the story. Right. But I, I love working with you. I love working with Mike Lander. Oh, love yeah. working with Jim Bachman. Incredible. Love working with Chad Gregory. Yeah. Love, love working with August. Like there's a ton of guys yes. in town. Yeah. Who I really enjoy working with because t- they have developed such a strong, connection in such a strong they're they're telling a story Mm. i feel as though the job of a lead singer is much closer to the job of an actor than it is the job of a musician back home again because of corona and it's where i want to be we all stopped wearing pants now i just wet my plants and i make music just for me my kitchen's full of sweet aromas, though I always dine alone. The year was booked, but now it's all been canceled. Here I'm stuck in good old The job of a lead singer is much closer to the job of an actor than the job of a musician. And it includes elements of being a musician. And they're certainly served by having more understanding of musicianship. But the most important thing is their ability as an actor to play the character who is performing that song Mm. and to make their audience feel that they're feeling what that song means to them. And if that's all they have, that's fine. I'll cover all the musical shit behind them. I, I will only say that. I will only say this. I don't have that. I have no idea how to do that. I will only say this. I'm not. I'm not playing anyone other than myself. And mm-hmm. and as soon as you get away from that, mm-hmm. when you're singing a song that you wrote, even if it's a, a, you know a, a, a fictitious story, uh, authenticity. Uh, is super important. I th- I agree with you a hundred percent. I wouldn't I wouldn't say like when I play one of my songs, whether it's it's relatively autobiographical or not, it doesn't matter 
it, it is it is the authenticity behind it and the truth let's say some intangible truth mm-hmm. uh of the of the song if you can't deliver it right people can maybe see through that or whatever uh but i don't separate myself from the from the songwriter or the event or the experience i always have to tap into that and not in in a way that um uh in a role playing role right it's it's the best i can i can deliver my song the best when i tap into who i am at that moment a hundred percent and brian i agree with you and i I respect with you what you do with that, and I admire what you do with that because yeah. I'm not able to do anything even close to that. I just like have this random ability to know how numbers work, so right. I can fix the chords under it. But, <laughs> right. but let right. me ask you this: Yeah, you probably have some songs mm. that you wrote quite a while ago mm. that now you're no longer the same person who wrote them. Totally. I do not yeah. have to embody a, another thing. So right, right. Well, I'm just saying, like, yeah. If it's a song that you wrote long enough ago, that the Brian that wrote that song is a different man. Yes. The Brian who would be performing it now, then either you're you're portraying that song as I, a different person, as an actor, and you've you've worked as an actor, so you understand yeah, that. Yeah. Or. Or you're giving that song a different meaning because now it's a different person portraying that song than the person who wrote it. Yeah, for sure. But but you but you can you, uh, for me, I, I never I can't separate. It's still me. It might be mm-hmm. a younger me. Sure. But, but it's it's still a younger me. You know, and and you know there there are songs that that I think ah, I, I I wouldn't have written this now or, or I don't I don't uh, connect with this emotion now or sure. i don't remember feeling this way anymore but it's and not to say it's a version of me but it it is still rooted in in my experience you know and i guess it's, know, it's, at no point am i disputing the authenticity of what you right. do no no I know, I, I know that. i love what you do yeah because of the authenticity you have yeah thanks and connecting Thank to you. An audience and doing it and whether we're because most of the the gigs that we've done have been like the laurel stuff right. where you're playing other people's music right but you're communicating it to the audience in a way to where you're portraying the character that wrote the song or you're giving it your understanding of that song right there's never a time when you're singing any of those songs like uh what's the 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 james taylor song fire you and do? rain fire and rain yeah, you didn't write that song, right? But there's, n- I've heard you sing that song at least a dozen times. Yeah, and there's never a time when I've heard you sing that song where I didn't feel as though you meant every goddamn word of that song, whether you were coming from the same place that James Taylor was coming from or not. Right, that right. was still something that you meant, and you were communicating an idea to the audience and making them feel something. Yeah, because of what that song is about. Hmm. And that's that's a vastly mm. different job from the job that I have. I don't as I a see, keyboard player. And, and again, I like don't agree. I, I don't I, agree. I, I try to do that, but what you do is so emotional. What you do in any instance. And again, I'm not trying to like like I'm not trying to disparage what I do. Right. No. No. I'm just realizing that at best I'm a character actor. 
you know, at my at my very best, you're the Christopher Walken of saxophone. Yeah, it, well, I want to be the Danny Trejo of saxophone, really. <laughs> right. But I'll be the Christopher Walken of harmonica. <laughs> Let's yeah. take a break. Seriously, though, break. like I'm trying I love to be. That. Yeah, yeah, no, well, no, see, I, get I want that. to be a character actor. I love it, and you know, I, my my job is to yeah. is to pad out the scene right. and to help the lead to deliver his emotion and his right. understanding of the story to the audience. Right. My job is to be a part of the scene and to support that. Right. No, and yeah. you're fucking fantastic. Well, it. I appreciate it, but I I'm mean, not trying on, to say that. I'm just saying it, it would be silly if it was like, okay, we're going to do fire and rain. And oh my God, like I know you love this song and the lyrics speak so much to you, but wait until you hear the line that the organ player plays while I'm saying the most important part of this song. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me, man? Like my job is to support you. Right. And, and I, that's the job that I, I want. And I think that you crush it. And, and of all the motherfuckers in this town, for for my money, you are the Swiss Army Knife musician in this fucking town. And I love you to bits, man. Uh, well, thank you kindly, and I will happily continue taking your money. <laughs> <laughs> Let's and, take a break. Drinking my whiskey. Ah! Come out. Hey! So the story goes. 